are continuing in a series called Living a Mission. And uh, what we've been talking about is the mission of Living Spring. And if you have your worship bulletin and you look on the back, the mission of Living Spring is to reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father, to restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of the Spirit. That is our church's mission. But what we've been talking about in this particular series is that you have a mission too. That God created you for a purpose. That it's not just to come to church and have the church do everything. God can actually speak to you. God can actually move you with his spirit. God can actually uh, speak to you in a way where you know exactly what to do. God created you for a mission. And so in this series, what we've been talking about is living a mission. What does it mean to live uh, with the belief that actually you were created for a purpose and you're here for a reason? And so uh, what we did last week was we went through something we do every year, and that's our circles to show how our mission statement works in with all the different people that we are connected with. And so there's these concentric circles that I stole from Saddleback because I love them. And uh, it just basically kind of puts people into categories, not in a bad way, but we've got people in our community, and that's not just the community where they bury dogs on our property. Uh, This is anyone you all and I come into contact with. So your work, whether you know it or not, is part of our community. Um, Your neighborhood, uh, the people you talk to are part of our community. It's just as an extension of Living Spring. And then we have the crowd, and that's anyone that makes it on campus or um, uh, to one of our events. So for Toys for Tots, we had uh, a crowd of about 1,000 people here on campus as we did Christmas Um, for those underprivileged people in the community, the kids. And then there's the congregation, and that's uh, you guys who are coming here on a Sunday morning and those who are participating in uh, Facebook Live. And so uh, we've got that. That's the congregation. Then there's the committed, and those are people who um, uh, commit with their time and their talents and their resources. And then there's the core And those are the people who are at all the events. They're the first to sign up. They're just like really uh, on it. And so our reach, restore, and respond kind of cover these bands. We reach the community and crowd. We restore. In other words, we learn about what God would have for our lives and we apply it. And that begins the restoration process. And I'll talk about that this morning. And then we respond to a move of God's spirit. And so one of the ways we talk about this is belong, believe, and be changed. You can belong to us before you even believe in God, before you even believe in the Bible. But I'm just here to tell you that I have an agenda, and that is to get you to believe some things. It's to get you to believe in a Heavenly Father that loves you and get you to believe in His Son who died for you and has made a way for you to have a relationship with Him and to get you to believe in His Word that it should be applied to our lives. And so uh, to sum it all up, we want to get someone to be a first-time visitor um, to a fully devoted follower of Christ. Last week we talked about this. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you will need to adjust your life. If you find out that your life is out of control, there's a really good chance in that case that you are not um, in the trajectory kind of going towards Jesus. There's something else in your life, someone else in your life that's diverting you from that, from that direction towards, towards Jesus. Because the goal of our lives is to become like Christ. 
As a matter of fact, the term Christian, if you apply that term to yourself, just means little Christ. The idea that Jesus uh, went to just create converts is false. He created disciples, and it starts with follow me. And so Jesus says to them, before they believed anything, before they knew anything, before they uh, had all of their doctrine right, before they started writing scriptures, uh, he said, follow me. And that's the goal. Uh, So this morning, what I want to talk about is what does it mean to be restored? What does that restoration process look like? Back in uh, 1969, a guy named Philip Zimbardo did an experiment. And he took two identical cars, and he took the license plates off of both cars, and he put the hood up so that it would look like it was one in the Bronx and one in Palo Alto. Okay, so you've got one car in the Bronx and one car in Palo Alto. And uh, within an hour, the one in the Bronx was beginning to be vandalized. All the expensive stuff was being taken out of it, and uh, um, people started just, like, kind of tearing it apart and all this. And within two weeks, the upholstery was ripped, and kids were playing in it, and it it was just sitting there. The one in Palo Alto for two weeks was left untouched. Nobody touched it. It just sat there. And so before you start thinking, well, that's because in the Bronx, it's a bad neighborhood and Palo Alto is a nice neighborhood. So what he did was he broke a window. He smashed the window with a sledgehammer. Once he did that, in just a short amount of time, even the people in Palo Alto started vandalizing that car because that smashed windshield broke a community barrier. It it broke, it, it said to the people of Palo Alto, we don't care about this car. It, do with it what you want. In the Bronx, if you leave a car, everyone in that community knows if you leave a car on the street, you are abandoning it. You, you're not just having it sit there so that you can go get it fixed. They all know that. There was no real community barrier broken. Everyone knows that when you do that, that's exactly what happens. Well, from that study came a theory called broken window theory. And the theory goes something like this. If there's a broken window on a building or maybe some graffiti or whatever, and it's not fixed right away, all of a sudden you'll get an increase in littering. You'll get an increase in graffiti. You'll get more broken windows. Crime will begin to increase in that area because there's a sense that the building itself says, we don't care or we're not strong enough to fix our own stuff. And it begins to just have this reverse effect. And so it's called broken window theory. And it went into practice in the late 80s. You're like, what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm getting there. Uh, it went, came into practice in the late 80s um, that a guy named uh, David Gunn and Chief William Bratton, before he was chief, uh, they wanted to transform the subways there. There was graffiti everywhere. Crime was at an all-time high. And so David Gunn was in charge of the, of the rail cars, the subway cars. And he had a rule. If a subway car had any graffiti on it, they had to, it had to be removed off the track until they could fix it. And so as the subway went from one depot to the other, they'd inspect it, graffiti, they'd take it off the thing, put a clean one on, and so you never saw a, a subway car with graffiti for very long. He began that process. What uh, William Bratton started to do was uh, catch people jumping over the turnstile. 
Now you think to yourself, why in the world would he spend so much time on people jumping the turnstile? That was $1.25 that they were stealing. When there's people being mugged <laughs> on the subway, right? You've said this to yourself when you've been pulled over by the police uh, officer for a, a traffic ticket. And you're like, why are you catching me speeding when there's murderers out there? To which the police officer says, man, you know, you've got an excellent point. I'm going to bring this up with my chief. Here you go. Okay, right? And so, uh, and so that's, but that's what he started doing. He started catching the smallest of infractions. And so what he found was one out of every seven people that he caught jumping over that turnstile had an outstanding warrant. <laughs> and so he was able to process them. One out of 20 had a weapon. And so in going after these little petty things, he was able to completely revitalize the subway system as it, as it related to crime. So then he became chief uh, uh, of New York, Chief uh, Bratton, and he has this famous saying, if you peed in the street, you were going to jail. <laughs> to which you and I would think, man, why wouldn't he go after the murderers? Why wouldn't he go and solve crimes? Well, he did that as well, but he went after the smallest of things. What I want to talk to you about this morning is that the restoration of our lives as we begin to change who we are so that it matches more of Jesus happens in broken window theory. It happens in small little things, little decisions. See, oftentimes, it's very hard to understand this. You might think of your life, and it might go something like this. You've got your one big thing. That's the thing that you're trying to work on. You've been trying to work on it forever. That's your big thing. And so you just think, if I could just, if I get rid of that one big thing, I'd be fine. Me and Jesus, we'd be like simpatico. We're, we'd be, it would be awesome. We're, we're all, if I could just get rid of that one big thing. And so we try to get rid of our one big thing. And it's hard, and we can't. We try to get rid of our one big thing, and it's hard, and we can't. So what I want to do this morning is look at a parable that Jesus told that'll give us some clues on how we can take care of that one big thing by taking care of a bunch of little things at the same time we're in matthew chapter 25 verse 14 if you want to swipe there or click there or open an actual bible there and uh, uh what's happening is jesus is giving a bunch of different stories about the kingdom of god he's trying to explain and he has to do it in stories, how this world, the world you and I operate in with our jobs and our families and our stresses and our busyness and all that, is not really the world we're supposed to be focused on. There is a kingdom of the earth and there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus was so um, into this concept that even when someone asked him how to pray, he said, pray May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there is a way to experience the kingdom of God here on, on earth. And so, here, so he tells these different stories. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like, a, it's like something that's lost that now you uh, can find. It's, it's uh, all these different things. And so he says this, Matthew 25, 14. Again, it will be, and it being the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Here's the first thing I want you to see. This man goes on a journey and he's entrusting his wealth 
to them. He's not giving them wealth. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Your life has been entrusted to you, not given to you, if that makes sense. This is a very hard concept because we are mostly in the kingdom of the world where we think our life is ours and we get the most, we get out of life and we get our things and we have rights and we have all these things. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you're valuable beyond words. There's no doubt about that. Um, But that our life is not really ours. It's been entrusted to us. So our time, our talents, our resources have been entrusted to us. And so in the same way, this man goes on this journey and he calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. The other thing we notice is that he spread it out to different um, servants. Each servant is important in this story. And it doesn't matter how much, we'll see how much he entrusts to each one, but that isn't even the point of the story. That that there can be no excuse of, well, I can't be used for God. Not only can you be used for God, you're expected to be used for God. That he doesn't value you based on how much money you have or how smart you are, your degrees, or how even long you've been a Christian. He's entrusted your life to you. And so, to one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. And then he went away. And these bags of gold are also called talents. And uh, one bag would be about 20 years wage. Okay, so think about that. We talked about this. So a lot of you out there, you're probably making, what, 250 grand a year? So multiply that times 20. (laughs) And that's what? And that's, and that's how much he entrusted to you for the, for the five-bagger one. For uh, the two-bag people out there, you only got half a million. So No, in, in actual day's terms, today's terms, it would have been about $2.5 million that he gave to these slaves. Now, here, here's the thing that's so fascinating. The disparity back then between someone who has that kind of wealth and 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 just a normal person was way farther than it is now. We certainly have that issue here now, but it was way farther. So the fact that they would get $2.5 million to take care of was staggering. Think about it from our standpoint. You have been given life, breath, a brain. You've been given an environment. You've been given quite a bit. I've been given quite a bit. And God entrusts that to me. And he says, go get him. So here's what happened. So he goes on this journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. And he, gave, he gained five more bags. Also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So back in that time, you didn't really have a bank to go to. You had money changers. You had, um, and not the ones from the, from the, um, from the uh, temple. Thank you very much. Uh, but these were like, um, you know, if you were changing over like monetary, like if you had currency exchange. And so they would, you would put your money with them and then they could use it to exchange it. And then when you took it out, you'd get interest, which would be the use of that. And so that's what, that's what some people would do. But most people, 
were so frightened that someone was going to take their money, because it's their money, that they'd bury it. They'd bury it in the ground. And so uh, they, they didn't want to take any chances. They didn't want to do anything. They would bury it in the ground because it's their money. The man who had received one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. He acted as though it was his, what he would do with that money. But guess what? It wasn't his money. The question shouldn't have been, what would I do with this money if it were mine? The question is, what does my master want me to do with this money? And this is the process of restoration. Or a fancy term for that is sanctification. Holy living. God has entrusted our lives to us, and just to be on the clear side, your life is broken, (laughs) okay? And so is mine. We live in a broken world. And so there's this process that God wants to join us on to get closer and closer to him, to be more and more like him. It's called sanctification. Some people call it holiness. And to be holy just means to be set apart, to understand that my life, Jesus says it this way, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And so therefore, honor God with it, is what he says. And so this slave goes off and, and hides it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Don't you hate those people? Man, I, you know, so look, look at me, master. Look what I've done, right? Uh, and so he does it. He, 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 he doubles the master's money. We don't know how long the master was gone for. We don't know how he did it. We're not supposed to. Because if we do that, we'll start nitpicking and going, well, okay, that doesn't apply to me. It absolutely does. God wants to be on this journey with us that we get closer and closer and closer and closer to him because we're in this restoration process. I had a uh, 66 Mustang uh, a while back, and as you guys, most of you know, um, and my goal was to restore it to, like, pristine condition and then sell it and make a bunch of money. But anyway, uh, my goal was to restore it. And so I buy it, and I was using it as a daily driver. So uh, I bought it, and um, it just kept breaking down all the time. I couldn't restore it because I was constantly just trying to keep it driving, right? And then um, a friend of mine, Kai, who many of you know, he starts breaking down the restoration process to me. So I thought, you know, you slap a coat of paint on it, you go, you know, you kind of do all this. And so he, he starts with like, first you sand it all down to the, to the steel. And I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> like, okay, done. Like, how about first you drive it to a place that does that for you, you know? And so he, he goes to the thing and he, he starts talking about what happens if you don't do that. That yes, it can look shiny at first, but ultimately it's going to begin to break down. And so he talked about all the different systems of the car and all the different ways you go through that. And so I sold the car (laughs) because I'm not willing to go through that process. I can just tell you that right now. It's too long, it's too expensive, and I didn't really have a vision for the final product uh, at, at the end. Now imagine if you picture your life in a way where you just think, if I could just get this done, it would be done. Instead of enjoying this difficult journey of sanctification, of this kind of going, Lord, 
This is what I did this week. This is where I want to be. This is who I want to be. And I'm in it for the long haul. And so this guy says five more. His master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, listen to this, with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. What's this? Two more bags. Woo. Okay, right? Or I don't know exactly how he did it, but that's how I envision it. And the master's just like, you know, high five in. Bam, give me those bags. Those are my bags. Uh, I don't know why he talked like that, but he did. Um, See, so yeah, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. He says the exact same thing to the guy who did with the two bags as the guy with the five bags. It is identical. It's word for word. And here's the word that the Lord has for you this morning. It does not matter how many bags you start out with. Your life might be so, you might walk through those doors and it is broken. You're like, John, I have one bag. It's filled with Pez candy. This is all, this is my life. It doesn't matter. God doesn't start, he's not interested in you getting to a place that you've earned that now you're so much more valuable. He just says, I've entrusted you with this. This family, this work, this body, this mind, this whatever. What are you going to do with it? What's your next step? The man who had received one bag of gold came and uh, says, Master, don't ever start this off as you're talking to your boss. I knew that you were a hard man <laughs> or woman, harvesting where you, did not, uh, where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And then he gets to this statement that I think is behind all of the times in my life that I haven't been able to muster up enough confidence or, or courage or whatever to make those bold steps to become more like Christ. And sometimes where I get stuck and I'm not adding value to what God has given me, not in the sense of I become more valuable, but that I'm, I'm a good steward of my time, my talents, and my resources. When I'm in that place and I'm not giving God that great a return on his investment, it's because I'm saying the same four words that this servant says. So I was afraid. I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid of what it might cost me. I was afraid of what change would have to come in my life. I was scared. Now the tragedy is that what this what this whole story represents is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And so we have this sense that if I, if I try to give the kingdom of God what I think the kingdom of God is requiring of me, I'm afraid that I might lose what's going on in the world. Jesus had an answer for that. He said, who in the world would trade something for that, that's, that that, that's valuable for something that just can go away. Only a fool would do that. Better to trade the things of the world in for the things of the kingdom of God. Because those things you get are joy and peace and patience. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, I was afraid. I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. You get it all back. 
His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have had received back with interest. He says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whomever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Now that, that sounds very, very harsh. And it sounds like if you don't, if you don't do what God is asking you to do for the kingdom of God, um, something's going to happen and then I'll get all your stuff or someone else will get all your stuff or the person next to you will get all your stuff. I probably wouldn't because I'm kind of in your boat as well. So maybe who knows what's going to happen. But th- that, that's the thing. So what do you do? How, how do you get from here to becoming more like Christ? When you have these different roadblocks in the way, you have different things, our brokenness gets in the way. I believe it's broken window theory. I believe we begin to think differently about removing those things in our life that, that, that get in our way. So let me just give you uh, an example, and I'll, I'll show you where I get this from. Uh, Jesus was talking about an unrelated parable, and this is how he sums it all up. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. The idea that I think Jesus is trying to say is sweat the small stuff. Like, go after the small stuff. So let me give you an example. Uh, Well, and then he goes on, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. So let's say your problem's pornography, okay? That's the thing you want to get out of your life. And so uh, you go and you talk to the pastor, and you say, ah, man, I finally is good to admit it, and, you know, so you... You, you know, you struggle, and then, then you kind of fall backwards, and then you go, and it's like, man, I just gotta, I just gotta fix this pornography thing. In broken window theory, I would say, how do you view women? Let's start there. Let's start about the value of a daughter of God, why she was created in his image, and what he would have for her, and we'll start there. And then we'll talk about that for a little bit. And then we'll talk about, okay, what are the things, what are some practical things you can do? Yes, we'll get to the pornography. But are there any billboards as you drive to work that are a temptation for you? How about, in broken window theory, let's just fix that window. Just, so change the way you view women. They're not objects. They're not there for your, whatever you want, okay? They're made in the image of God. They're valuable, okay? And then, Pick a, pick a thing. Pick the billboard thing. What are there, two or three? And just determine, as you drive to work, I'm not going to look at those. Now, you'll see them f- far away, and you'll just be like, nope, not going to look, not going to look. As you fix that broken window, you can roll on to the next window. And soon you will have trained yourself to do that. It, would it be nice to just quit cold turkey? Totally, totally, and people do, and it's awesome. But if not... God is okay with this process of sanctification, this process of restoration, this process of transformation. And so we start there. Let's say uh, uh, you you have a problem with your buddies, 
about what you talk about when you're together. Maybe it's jokes, maybe it's language, maybe it's whatever, maybe it's gossip, uh, or uh, who, who knows what it is. And you think, I am not going to say one bad thing. Here's a verse with broken window theory in it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So that's the standard. But only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Your broken window may be this. This week, I'm going to move forward to only speak encouraging words to people. Now, As you do that, you will notice your brain and your spirit begins to change. You will begin to view situations differently. I have a friend who works for a person that I call a stopper. You might have these in your work, um, but a stopper, for some reason, uh, poor management or whatever, gets somebody in power that everything has to go through and your job stops the minute you have to go talk to him or her. And so you're like, hey, I really need this thing. Well, I I can. I've got it. Well, here, give it to me. I'll do it. No, 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 no. You can't do it. And they remain in power, and they become a stopper. Well, a friend of mine had one of these stoppers, and she uh, uh, happened to be his uh, boss. And and so he would have his stuff, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go. And she would say, well, I don't know if I have time for that. And he'd go, look, I've got to get these things done, and yeah, I can do it myself. So he'd tell me, John, I can't, I, can't talk, I can't stand looking at her. I can't talk to her. I can't, it's just, it's just, I don't know why they don't fix it, all this kind of stuff. And he says, and she collects giraffes. Her whole desk is full of giraffes. I hate, I've learned to hate giraffes now. I used to love giraffes. But I want to go in, I want to snap their little necks when I walk up to her desk. I can't stand it anymore. And, and it's like he knows he's supposed to love her. We all know that, right? Jesus might have, and so we're like, okay, uh, we probably should. And he's like, I just can't, I just can't love her. And he's like, you know, I go in, and I, I mean, think about that. Think about how do you just love someone? Do you just like go, like, oh, I'm going to love them no matter what? So I said, okay, here, here's the thing. It's off of broken window theory. Faithful with little, faithful with much. Go up and ask her about her giraffes. He's like, I don't care about her giraffes. <laughs> I said, I understand. Just go up and ask her about her giraffes. So he goes up and asks her about her giraffes. He finds some stuff out about her. Finds out why she collects giraffes. Finds out why she's got 17,000 of them. She, he finds out all these kind of things. And so he's like, I, I did that. And actually, now I understand why she has the giraffe. Great. Buy her a giraffe. Just buy her a giraffe and put it on her desk. Just say, hey, thanks for talking to me. Here's a giraffe. Now, listen, did that make, and, here, come to, and they ended up getting married. No, they didn't really get married. <laughs> Just joking. They didn't, they didn't get married. Uh, but this is the idea of just, the Bible calls them steps of faith. Steps of faith. To just go, okay, Lord, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But I'm going to, at least I have the power. I might not have the power to just love her, but I have the power to ask her about giraffes. Now, again, that story, I changed all the different, it actually wasn't giraffes, and it was, I just didn't want anyone to figure out who it was because it might have been your pastor. So, um, so we have this one, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. All these different things. Jesus would say it this way. He'd say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's the big one. But I say, 
Fix that broken window of looking at a woman lustfully. Don't do that. Don't go this way. See, we, we tend to go this way. If I could just handle this, maybe, maybe it is pornography, then I'll be able to handle this. And then I'll be, it goes the opposite way. Maybe you have a problem with finances. Okay, you've gotten yourself into some debt because of how you view finances and how you view spending and all these things. And so you think to yourself, well, if I could just, have you ever thought this when you're in debt? If I just won the lottery, first thing I'd do is I'd pay off all my debt and then I'm never going into debt again, right? Yeah, because you won the lottery, okay? So that's terrible management. But like, like even, even in the world we have this shown in front of us. Do you remember, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? He's got the uh, money makeover thing. The, 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 mo- the cheapest way to get rid of your debt is to pay off your highest credit cards first, the ones that are charging you the most interest. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. If you can do it, great. But what he's talking about is the snowball thing where you pay off the card that has the least amount on it. Maybe it's your Macy's card or whatever. And then you roll that payment into the next one and you roll that payment into the next. Would it be great to pay this one off? Yes, it would be awesome. But what happens is people get discouraged and they don't do that. And so we go all the way back until we go all the way. So here's, what I, here's my question for you as Audra comes back up. This week, this week, what's a broken window you can fix in your life? What's, what's your thing, and then what's a broken window you can fix? Is it a relationship? And then now you're just going to say, okay, I'll make a phone call. I'll send a text. I'll do whatever. And we do this all as acts of worship. Lord, I'm going to do this as an act of worship. What is, what is it? What is, what is there some broken window you could do? Does it have to do with your finances? Does it have to do with um, your relationship with God? Have you been away from him so long and you're just now beginning to come back and maybe you just start those steps again? Is it how you use your time? What's one step? God, you have entrusted this life to me. What is one step I can do with my time that honors you? so that you get the return on investment that you deserve? Is it your talents? Are you so busy that you can't volunteer anywhere? You can't serve anybody? You're just like so, it's so much about you. You're so packed. Maybe there's a broken window you can fix in that. Just one little thing. Is it how you spend your money? Is it that everything's about you, saving, spending, everything? And maybe now, for the first time in your life, you go, okay, I'm going to fix this broken window. I know the Bible says to give 10% of my income. That's the big thing right there. But I'm just going to set up an automatic payment that's sacrificial to me. It doesn't equal the 10%, but I want to tell God, this is my next broken window. This is my restoration process of sanctification. I pray you bless it. I pray you be honored by it. I pray you'd help me to get to full obedience.